Welcome to Bloom, the podcast where mums share their unfiltered birth experiences. We hope that by listening to their stories, you feel empowered and inspired wherever you are on your own journey. Welcome to Bloom. Flora found pregnancy to be an anxious but awe-inspiring time. From the beginning, her desire for a natural physiological birth was the driving force. She did a lot of research into home birth and building trust in herself and her baby to do what birthing bodies are made to do. But natural doesn't necessarily mean complication-free. Flora thought they had lost their baby at 11 weeks when she experienced a painful bleed that turned out to be from a hematoma. The consultant categorised her pregnancy as high risk, a diagnosis and label which brought with it a new world of things for Flora to research and worry about. She was eventually signed back into midwife-led care and given the green light for her preferred home birth. Nine days after her estimated delivery date, Perrin was born at home on the bathroom floor, and Flora was in bed with tea and toast minutes later. Flora tells us everything about how she prepared for this magical experience by informing herself to confidently stand by her convictions until the very end. Hi, Flora. It's lovely to have you here. Hi. I'm very flattered you've agreed to use an hour of your child-free time to chat to me. It's precious. It's a pleasure. So to start with, uh, the first question that we ask everybody is, if you could please tell us your name, how old are you, what do you do in life, where are you from, and who is in your lovely family? I'm Flora. I am almost 31, and I live in Bristol. I'm a primary school teacher. And my family is my husband, Dan, and my little boy, Perrin, who has just gone a year. Lovely. And let's start back before you had little Perrin and tell us a little bit about how you and Dan met. How old were you? We were 21, 22, met through my oldest and best friend who he knew through some of his school friends and we met in Nando's actually which is quite funny (laughs) and then yeah been together since we were 22 and we got married this year in April. Wow okay so how long did it take you after the Nando's meeting to start talking about children? (laughs) God I don't know actually when we first started talking about kids probably not that soon it was more of like a just sort of oh do we want to be in a committed relationship although I mean for me, I've always wanted kids and we've both got nephews and nieces and so like children have kind of always been part of our life and that conversation. Actually, you know what, I think that maybe maybe quite early on I sort of was like, look, I want to have kids, this is what I want to do and if you don't want to, then it's kind of a bit of a non-starter. I think that that conversation happened mm. and then we probably seriously were talking about it for probably a number of years. Actually, Dan has always wanted to have kids more than to get married. I wanted to get married just as part of what I felt was the natural journey progression but um, for both of us it was like definitely want to have kids so just a matter of when really. What was the experience of finding out that you were pregnant like for both you and him? I kept a journal for my whole pregnancy and I was just reading it last night to jog my mind Um, and it's really funny because 
I basically thought that I wasn't pregnant that month and it was New Year's Eve and so I'd like gotten pretty drunk actually on New Year's Eve and then a few days later felt horrendous and was like this is so weird and I was thinking in my head maybe I am maybe I am but I didn't want to say a three-day hangover <laughs> yeah mm-hmm, yeah and I, I just thought oh I'm really hungover on New Year's Day I'm like maybe it's something I've eaten and then a few days later I sort of felt all spacey and I read in my I'd written in my journal I just kept burping I was burping loads and felt really like faint and funny and headachey and I didn't want to say do you think I might be pregnant so I just said to Dan I feel so weird all these things and he said could you be pregnant? I was thinking, maybe. And then, well, you know, I'd been, re- I'd really wanted to be pregnant. I decided, like, okay, I think we, you know, I'm, you know, desperate for it now, pretty much. Hmm. But then, when you get the lines, it's like, oh, oh my gosh, is this? Are we ready? Was Dan with you at that point, or were you on your own? He was in bed, so I did it um, at like six o'clock the next morning after feeling all those, all those feels, which would have been like the first when my period would have come, did it at like, yeah, six o'clock and just went in and woke him up. He's not really a morning person. He was just, I think maybe a few days before when I'd been thinking about it and deciding like, right, I'm going to drink for New Year's because I don't think I'm pregnant. He'd said, oh, you know, we'll just be patient and we'll see it'll happen when it'll happen kind of thing. And he, mm. I, I've written in my journal that what he said was, what happened to being patient? <laughs> And then I think for both of us, it took us like a few days for it to settle in. I obviously had all of the physical feelings, so it was just sort of very real. But I think for him, it took quite a while for it to actually feel real. Both mm-hmm. of us excited, but I think also both of us just a bit shell-shocked maybe by like the reality of what was ahead of us and that it was actually happening. Yeah. Did you know anyone who told you what you had to do in terms of you've got the positive pregnancy test, what happens next? Or were you on Google? What was your kind of process? It's really interesting that you ask that, actually, because, again, I was remembering last night that actually, I think in my head, I thought that you get a positive pregnancy test and then straight away, pretty much, you get talking to the doctors and the midwives. And and I felt like they had to do some kind of official diagnosis of pregnancy, like as though my peeing on a stick wasn't a viable way Mm. of of testing it. And so I really felt that, okay, right, I'm I'm pregnant, I've got to tell people. So I'd called the doctors and they said, oh, you know, it's not us. And I called the midwives and what I thought was going to be some kind of an appointment and reassurance. And I really thought that I would have an appointment with someone who would help me of like, yeah, this is what you need to do now. Especially as well, I remember worrying, what can I not do? Mm. You know, you you can read all the things about like, don't eat all these things. But for me, it was, you know, can I do exercise? Can I lie on my back? I'm very like into rules. And I really needed that. I found it hugely anticlimactic, actually, because all I did was leave a voicemail on this midwife booking appointment call line. And I'm thinking, well, what, what do I do now? I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be safely pregnant other than looking things up, which tends to err on the side of scaremongering. Yeah. You know, straight away, it's like, do not cycle. Then I cycle everywhere and I stop cycling. And that's one thing I regret because out of fear, I stopped. And actually now I think if I'd done it again, I would have kept going for longer. So then, yeah, so I called that, left the voicemail, and then eventually they called me back and gave me an appointment for in a month's time. So it was a long, again, like a long wait. It felt for me like a really long time when I was so desperate for someone to tell me that things were going okay. Mm. Yeah, that's a long time. At this point, you said you kind of had the initial feels before you got your 
positive pregnancy test but what other symptoms were you feeling during the first trimester like lots of nausea basically I was never sick but I would wake up feeling fine and then from about half 10 11 ish so pre-lunch start feeling super sick almost like a seasick car sick like nausea and then after lunch and often it would go like into the evening (laughs) I remember trying to trick myself into eating things so I used to like love eating salad for lunch and I was tricking myself like telling myself this is delicious bread because all I wanted to eat was like beige (laughs) beige things a beige buffet yeah exactly uh like bread and cheese and uh like dairily and cereal and stuff like that Mm. just really tired so tired and yeah kind of what I had which I hadn't heard people talk about and I kept googling it and googling it about this really sort of spacey feeling like my head was sort of floating Mm. and I had had that like I said the day before I did the test had it for quite a few days after I'd found out I was pregnant and then interestingly I now know that I then was having that in like the kind of latent stages of labor so I think for me I must be really sensitive to some kind of influx of hormones Mm. something my brain just goes a bit woof but I found that quite disconcerting because no one else I spoke to was having that or had had that I couldn't find anything about it but Mm, interesting the kind of classic pregnancy symptoms and then you had this midwife appointment a month on Mm. was the rest of the first trimester straightforward did you have good feelings from the healthcare providers that you were put in touch with basically my first trimester was just like filled with anxiety and I was so hyper aware of every feeling so what I had a lot of as well like I could really feel these little twinges and the stretches of my muscles and you know as everything was going on I was so anxious of like Mm. is this cramping I don't know like you know really paying attention to what was like in my pants and when I was wiping and stuff like is that spotting like every little thing I was hyper aware of That's so interesting that you say that, actually, because I think sometimes looking back, it's easier to remember the really obvious symptoms like the nausea. But I think that's probably quite relatable for a lot of women, actually, that's those kind of more discreet sensations as well. Yeah, yeah. And now I can look back on it and know everything was, was fine. But at the time, you think, is that normal? Is that healthy? And I got really anxious about something that now I look back on and think like, oh, it was so minimal like the tiniest little bit of spotting and a little bit of cramping and at seven weeks I'd called the doctors and was really worried about this and so Mm. they booked me with the early pregnancy unit for for a seven week like early scan just to check that everything was fine which I mean now I feel like slightly embarrassed about the fact that I had that must be so normal though I think so and they were you know like just so lovely and so reassuring and they gave me it was like an internal vaginal ultrasound because it was that early on but we did we were really lucky because sometimes you won't at that stage but like we saw the heartbeat and stuff and that was so reassuring amazing then well at 10 weeks we went for another scan because I was again really anxious I'd found out that my um, dating scan that wasn't until I'd been almost 13 weeks and I was really anxious about it. And I just sort of psyched myself up that like, I could wait for 12 weeks, but I can't wait for 13 weeks. So we booked a private scan at 10 weeks, paid for it, went in. And, and that was like amazing. And baby was wriggling around everywhere. It was a bit mad to see that they're wriggling. You can't feel anything, but just that reassurance. And so we felt kind of like really buoyed by that. And I told uh, quite a few friends. I told like a couple of my best friends the day I found out I was pregnant and I'd also had to tell my boss because it was 
lockdown got announced the, the day that we found out we were pregnant. So I had to work from home. So a, a few random people knew that I was pregnant, but we told a few people at, at um, like 10 weeks. And then at 11 weeks, I was working from home doing my teaching, like my online teaching, uh, and just had this huge bleed, wow. basically, out of nowhere. I was cramping, low, I was kind of run to the toilet, and Dan had just gone out to go and buy some wood for a DIY project he was doing, and I had to like call him, like, you have to come back. I just, you know, I knew, it just felt like something was really wrong. Yeah, I had no idea that you could have what I what I although I've never had a, a pregnancy loss, what I felt like a pregnancy loss must feel like of of losing all the blood and like clots and tissue and you know that horrible kind of you know I can't I can't do anything about it like what what do I do I want you know I want to stop it but I can't um and that went on for you know like an hour and and again that was another moment moment where I thought what do I do I need to <laughs> someone needs to tell me what to do now so called called the early pregnancy unit and they okay. um, they said oh a midwife or or you know a sister from the unit will call you back and then I waited like five hours for them to call me back and gosh that's a long time isn't it when you're desperate yeah. for knees yeah completely and again it was I just didn't know what to do I didn't know whether you're supposed to stay at home or stay on the toilet or go to the hospital you know, like all of those things I, I just had no idea I couldn't find the answers I just wanted to be told you know what was going to happen obviously they couldn't tell me that and they just said you know from everything you said it does sound like you've like you've had a miscarriage we'll book you in for a scan we can't book you in tomorrow so it'll be the day after so we had two days oh. of um yeah really hard because we thought that we'd lost the baby and it felt like the most sensible kind of self-defense mechanism to just go with that Mm. so really hard couple of days went in kind of preparing for what we wanted to do with that uh, in terms of managing it medically and then they did a did a scan and she said oh there's a really healthy heartbeat in here there's a healthy baby in here goodness me and obviously we were yeah we were like beside ourselves just both of us in floods of tears we had our masks on obviously because it was covid so crying you know crying into the masks wow I just, I just remember, are you sure like are you sh- how how and she basically said that what she could really clearly see was a hematoma so it's a it's a bruise on your uterus and similarly to if we have a bruise okay. you know it's like blood under the skin kind of thing it can build up from various things some people have them behind their placenta mine wasn't it was just like in the lining of the uterus she said based on where it was it could have been that um it was like an implantation a mark left from where the the egg had implanted and that um some blood and some swelling and and bruising had happened from there Mm. she said oh you know then this that can then kind of rupture be like burst by the baby kicking it or going for a run or having sex and one of the things I'd really struggled with for the two days before is for that whole first trimester I'd been going for runs like gentle runs but like kind of (laughs) running for me is like my self-medication for my mind and Mm. um kind of like that preserving my mental health uh and it had been fine until that point and we'd gone for a run the, the day before uh so I was so worried of and the the mid well the sonographer was so kind because she just said uh she said if this had been a miscarriage the run would never have been the reason for it oh amazing nothing that yeah she said nothing that you could have done would have been the reason for it 
But she's like, because mm. it's a hematoma, yes, going for a run probably did cause this. Okay. So how did that make you feel then? Relieved in a way, like hugely relieved. But it was yeah. scary because they basically said, oh, you know, at the moment, the hematoma was four and a half centimetres and the baby was five and a half centimetres. And they said for them to not worry about it anymore, they need the baby to be twice the size of the hematoma. And more often than not, they said, because it's actually really common, although I'd never heard about it ever before. Is it? Yeah. They said for them to not worry about it, they just, they need to see that growth, you know, the baby outgrow it. And usually more often than not, it just disappears like a bruise would on your leg or your arm. Yeah. It just goes. They made me though, because they have to keep then a close eye on it, they made me kind of high risk and said, right, you're going to have to come in for a few more scans and we'll have to keep an eye on it and make sure that it does what we're expecting it to do. And she put me on like 10 days of resting. So like no exercise. Mm. What was it? I think no exercise, no sex. Those are the main ones of like changing, but just like resting, like a lot of resting, which was fine. Obviously, I knew that I was doing it for a reason, but I really struggled with the line of like, what's exercise? I can remember thinking, can I go for a walk? I don't know. Like, is that exercise? Yeah. A couple of weeks after that. Oh, I think it was a week after that, actually. I had my first consultant appointment then based on now being high risk under consultant care. And I assumed that he would scan me and, you know, look at it and maybe be able to say like, oh, this is looking better. Or And, and also I thought, you know, as an expert doctor, he's going to tell me you can do this, this, this. You can't do this, this, this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was the day before what would have been my, um, yeah, my dating scan then. So it would have been my 12 week, uh, 13 weeks. And he didn't scan me, which I just like flummoxed me. And he sat there and told me all these things about a hematoma, which I'd kind of worked out from my research was he was t- talking to me about a hematoma that was based behind a placenta. So like really different because okay. when you have a hematoma behind your placenta, it can dislodge the, the placenta and kind of cause placenta issues. So I'm sitting there thinking, no, no, I need you to tell me all the answers. and You're, you're not giving me the information I need said to him you know can I run and he was actually really not reassuring at all and he said well if you go for a run and then the next day you have a miscarriage if that's going to make you anxious then I wouldn't go for a run Hmm. and to me that's like (laughs) you know I I couldn't hear anything worse and it was the same he was saying oh you know I would I wouldn't have sex either if that's going to make you anxious the next day you know, and that was devastating for me. What Dan said is, oh, you know, he was just trying to be reassuring. He was just trying to kind of meet you where you were in your anxious state. But it wasn't working for you. It was not working. <laughs> but then the next day I went and saw a sonographer for my 12-week dating scan. And she was so lovely. And she looked at it and she said, you know, it's kind of, I think, I think it had very slightly reduced in size already in a week. And she said that nothing was worrying in terms of what was there. And she said, right, I'm going to get one of my colleagues in the early pregnancy unit to call you and she'll talk through absolutely everything that you're worried about she'll answer all your questions and what what the sonographer said which I like kept with me throughout is is she said you know that consultant he's an expert in the later stages of pregnancy and you know getting babies out early pregnancy unit sisters they are your go-to for everything at this stage like they just know more than him and that was a really interesting realisation for me that you're told that these doctor, the doctors are the most senior ones, they know everything and they must have all the answers. And actually for that, he didn't know it. He didn't know. He didn't have experience of it. Whereas all these women who work on, you know, the sisters, well, women and men, I think, who work in the early pregnancy unit, 
they see it day in day out um the you know the intricacies and the nuances of um how you know how different all the pregnancies are and, and the woman who called me the next day was so lovely and she's like you know okay if you need to run then do these things run on grass or, you know make sure it's low impact that like, you can do all the swimming you want swimming's not going to affect you at all you know like it was just amazing so yeah and I suppose it's not just the medical intel but also having the experience of being in front of women at that stage of their pregnancy Definitely. every day all day so knowing kind of how you're feeling and how you respond to stuff as well definitely how did all of this news impact your planning for what sort of birth you were going to have so I knew from pretty early on that I wanted to have a home birth one of my best friends had had a home birth well like a reasonably similar time actually to my first trimester and it gone really well and what I'd kind of done from the very beginning of finding out I was pregnant is like armed myself with as much research as I could. So I read every book I could find and followed all the Instagram accounts and read loads of different journals and scientific research, you know, like everything. Um, and really decided that I felt the home birth was what I believed in, in terms of, you know, thousands of women coming before me and birthing at home and that like trusted my body and my baby to know what to do and, that had been the plan for that whole kind of first trimester and then with being high risk they were saying look if if you are still high risk we'd have to really discuss it it would be more of a they weren't saying no and actually that's one of the things I asked the consultant well what happens because I do still want a, a home birth and again armed myself with the knowledge that actually it's always my choice so even if they'd said no you can't I knew that I could say well I can Mm. because it's my birth (laughs) but obviously I wouldn't want to go fully against all recommendations being told I was high risk they said look you're gonna have to wait we'll we'll review it they booked in a few more scans and they said we'll review it I think I think it was 34 weeks or something and see how the hematoma is going and then you can you can see and when you decide that you want to be have a home birth anyway I think it's not until 34 or 35 maybe even 36 weeks that um that the home birth team or a midwife comes and visits you in your house just to check the setting okay when I went in for that uh, appointment with the with the consultant obstetrician and I'd had my scan I'm sort of you know can it can you sign me off can you give me back to the midwives and then I can easily have my home birth uh, and, and he did and it was fine and then the Wonderful. week after the mid midwives came round and they kind of I don't really know I think they're checking that your house, your home is safe but uh the midwife said oh you know well, we you can do home births in a tower block you can do home births anywhere I remember hearing an amazing story actually about someone who had a home birth I think it was in Paris and they had to reinforce all the floors beneath so they could get the birthing pool in there so where there's a will there's a way oh my god wow your care up until that point was exactly the same was it yeah it was just a couple of extra um scans basically practically speaking did you have any information about how to get your home ready obviously you said that you're not getting the yay or nay until quite far down the line but presumably you need to do a a fair amount of prep in advance of that date yeah it's that's a really weird thing actually to you know to part of it to know that we really wanted a home birth but we wouldn't necessarily get it and you do have to do so much to prepare so um we rented a birth pool 
Um, and it was really good because it was, I think, they rented it to you three weeks either side of your due date. So you got it for six weeks. So it was from, uh, must have been, yeah, like 34 weeks to 40 weeks or, no, 40 weeks, 37 weeks to, to 42 weeks plus. Okay. We'd reserved it. So you basically, like, reserved that you want it. And then a couple, at a certain week point, they say, do you still want it? And then you're like, yeah, I've been signed off by my home birth team. Yes, please. Um, so that was really good. And Amazing. They kind of, I talked to a couple of people and some friends and did some research about, like, oh, does it have to be in a specific room? I got a bit worried at one point because I was thinking, we don't have a downstairs toilet. Our only bathroom is upstairs. Is that okay? You know, can I be going up and down the stairs? Um, and the midwife said, oh, actually, that's great. So that, you know, we, we really yeah, want yeah. you to be as active as moving. possible. It's really good. Yeah, it's really good for getting the head down. So, yeah, 100% not a problem. We basically just knew it was going to be in the lounge because we have like a lounge dining room and that's our living space. And so we would we had sort of the space set out. We didn't, I think that maybe down inflated the pool like a couple of days before or something, but we knew we had to wait for that. And we had an idea of how okay. we were going to, we we're going to move the furniture around to make as much space as possible. Uh, but other than that, we didn't really. We had old shower curtains from friends for like the sofas and stuff. And we had a tarpaulin on the floor. Uh, and the midwives actually brought loads of puppy pads and stuff. But we had loads of towels, like loads of old towels that we had from anyone who would give us them. Um, and those are the main main things, I think, that, that we were told we need to, to prepare. Actually, I wanted to ask Dan in all of this, was he as on board as you were with all these convictions or did he take some convincing? I think initially he was unsure, but I just read him all the literature, read him all the books. And we also, we did a hypnobirthing course and so much of that was about essentially all of the benefits of having a home birth because of all of the, you know, the natural and primal things that we want as birthing mammals and I think that was really good for him because obviously I didn't know the contents of that course we were doing it and he sort of said oh right so that you know that's everything that we'll we'll have here uh, I think that was reassuring yeah it kind of validated yeah um I think ultimately he just wanted us to well me and baby and stuff to to feel safe and he was happy with that Okay, so Dan was on board. Did you get any comments from other people in your life that were vocal about yeah. how they thought it was a, a bad idea? Or because you know it's obviously unconventional, and imagine that must be something to deal with if you have anyone who's being vocal about it. Yeah, we had a few a few comments, which you know I think just like you say, it's unconventional and people are scared, but. Um, from all the research that I'd done and, you know, our hypnobirthing stuff and like really like feeling rooted in the science to back us up. I think we both felt so confident because, you know, a couple of the things were, but you need to be where, you know, you need to be where you can get help straight away when something goes wrong. And obviously from my perspective, it's, well, actually a lot of the time things go wrong in hospital because of where you are and you know you need those things because of where you are um was sort of my perspective on it and that the you know the further you are away from it a, a lot of the time the less likely you are to need those interventions 
Um, I think people realised, I mean, I've, I've never been one of those people who can just say, this is my decision. I've made it. We're not talking about it anymore. You know, I, I didn't have strong enough uh, <laughs> boundaries to necessarily, let's say, I'm not listening to you. But I would just sort of go with that and be like, it'll be fine. I've got all these examples. Um, actually, two of my nephews were born at home. Um, so at least for like my parents, they knew that that was a, uh, knew that mm. that had happened safely. That's amazing though, that you were able to kind of cling to your convictions so strongly because obviously everyone has an opinion about everything in pregnancy anyway, but yeah, I guess information was power for you. and Completely, you know, inf- even in the last hundred years, we haven't been giving birth in hospital for that much of that time you know so actually even in the recent history knowing that um but I think I was just sort of I was just really empowered with that you know like naturally so many women did it and you know that that's what you need when I understood about having that oxytocin flowing and you know being in that safe space I just no matter what anyone said I I just knew that for me that's what it needed to be I still had those like doubts every now and then of oh, you know, what if something does go wrong? And, and what if I, because like I say, I, I am an anxious person. And, um, you know, what if I am, I'm still too anxious at home. And, and those, those worries from other people get into my head. But I just sort of tried to surround myself with all the people that I knew supported my decision and all the information that supported the decision. Yeah. I kind of, I followed a lot of Instagram accounts that are even a little bit like out there for me because it went so far the other way uh that you you know you're like okay yeah 100% you know people who are you know fighting for everyone to have home births and really tell it you know giving you all of the information about the difficulties of over medicalization of birth and all of those things and and that really kind of strengthened me in my resolve for it and and our decision for it okay um yeah that's amazing so kind of curating your information as well I like that yeah all right so let's talk about the day itself you mentioned that you had the green light but there were still other hurdles to jump over did labor come on naturally and what were the first sort of sensations you experienced yeah labor came on naturally um I went nine days over our like given medical due date but I started like naturally I lost my mucus plug over something like five days once I hit due date, I think in my head, I really knew I didn't want an induction. I really didn't want to. And I knew that their line, their kind of timeline is to induce you at 10 days over to have the baby here by 12 days over. No, 12 days to 14 days, whatever it is. Induce on day 12 over and to have, make sure the baby's out within 48 hours of that. I wouldn't be able to have my home birth. And, and it was everything that I had sort of been I guess in okay. a way made a little bit scared of in terms of those medical interventions and how the kind of cascade of intervention can happen and stuff. And I and I know that there are lots of positive induction stories, and, but for me, it's not what I wanted. So I sort of was playing with, oh, should we get a membrane sweep? Should we try and move things along a bit? But again, knew from my uh, very passionate Instagram follows that even a membrane sweep is induction, no, is in, intervention induction of some kind. Mm-hmm. And got to just have faith. Did a lot of hypnobirthing mantras of, you know, my baby will come, my baby is ready and like my baby knows what to do. Then the appointments start to come much more frequently, like every few days. 
I think actually on my due date, I started having some feelings and I thought, wow, okay, maybe this is it. Like mild cramping and it was in a pattern and it sort of was becoming more regular, regular, but it was still mild. I mean, for me, I was thinking this is it, 100% going to happen. So that was like the latent stages. And actually my latent stages lasted almost two weeks, like nine days because uh, my, mu- my mucus plug had started coming away. Things were starting to happen, but then I think I was a week overdue. I don't really like the term overdue, but, you know, I was a week over when they decided I was going to give birth. They started saying, OK, well, what we would ideally want to do is book you in for an induction on Sunday. If you go 10 days over anyway, you would be okay. categorised as high risk to have a home birth. So we wouldn't recommend a home birth. And so st- straight away, things were kind of being pulled out from under me. And I said then, I'm not going to let you book me in on Sunday. I want to go to 14 days over my date before you book me in for anything. I wasn't saying I'm never going to be induced. But again, I, I mean, I was in some home birthing Facebook groups where people had given birth at like, 43 weeks like three weeks over like you know and they are so kind of so strongly committed to this you know baby will come naturally I'd done a lot of research about first babies and that actually something wild like 25% of first babies come between something like seven and ten days overdue like that's a huge number of the babies that are coming in that space of time Right. And to that point, exactly. Madness that the French due date is seven whole days different to the UK one. So it just seems slightly anecdotal. And I knew that. I knew that the French due date was a week after. I even said that to my midwife in one of my appointments. You know, I'm not doing this because I know that if I was in a different country, we wouldn't even Mm. be having this conversation yet. In some African countries, I think it's 42 weeks even is the due date. So I knew that it's like it, it wildly varies. Yeah, goodness me, I didn't yeah. know that. Also, based on my dates by cycle, I had five extra days, but they they pulled me back based on sizes. They said, oh, actually, we think it's going to be five days earlier than your cycle dates. So I kept thinking that in my head as well, like I'm giving myself an extra five days to try and sort of like trick myself away from worrying about it. And for this baby to come, they need you to be feeling safe and calm and happy. I'm trying to block everything out, just sitting on my ball like in the dark, listening to rain on a roof, white noise or something, and like inhaling Clary Sage, like desperately trying to get this baby to come. (laughs) That's wonderful that you managed to effectively refuse the planning of that induction and say it wasn't hanging over you and you were able to create that little cocoon. The community midwife was lovely and she's saying, look, I, I do believe, like, I, I really believe that things are happening, like it is going to happen for you. So I said, right, okay, how about tomorrow? I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, I'll come in and, and I'll have a sweep just to try and like move things along. And then that night at 10 o'clock, I started having what I felt like was quite strong contractions, surges, whatever. And I thought, oh my God, this is it. I downloaded the contraction timer and I started timing them because I just suddenly got so excited. Like it had been almost two weeks in the lead up to this. Yeah, and it was bang on time before your appointment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think finally, it's that, you know, like my, my baby knew it's coming like last minute, but it's doing it. And I just was so like excited. And also I kind of knew, you know, they, they drill into you. 
they have to be this far apart and they have to be this sort of intensity and this length. I just got like really fixated on that. And it was 10 o'clock at night and obviously you're excited and thinking with everything I know about birth, often it happens in the night. So maybe by the morning or have a baby and obsessively like timing these contractions, which never got closer to each other than like seven minutes. I couldn't sleep through it. I was too excited. And also it's that physical sensation. So I didn't get a lot of sleep called the midwife in the morning and said, look, I'm not coming in for my sweep because something's happening. And Dan started, I think, like getting the birth pool out. Like not like weren't in any way filling it up, but we were just sort of in that mode, like, right, it's happening. The midwife came. She was like my favourite midwife and the one who'd been dealing with me throughout most of it. And she came to see us and she was very sweet. She just sort of like observed me for a bit going through my contractions, which I thought were really intense. And she's like, okay, you're doing great, but it's not active labor, you're in latent stages. And I'd felt like I'd been in latent stage for so long, and I kind of had. She just said, look, you just have to rest, like get as much sleep as you can, because it's it's not far away, it is going to happen. Oh, that was another thing as well. In, in all of these, you know, those days overdue, I kept thinking, maybe I want to have a vaginal examination just to check, like to see if anything's happening, because I know my mucus plugs come away. But then I'd also knew that some people say, oh, you know, if you have a VE and you've not dilated, then you, you can get a bit disillusioned and, and, you know, the oxytocin goes. And I thought that she might come and she might check my dilation at home. But she didn't. She just said, look, I just know the right things are happening. You just have to have faith in it and just rest. And so I tried to sleep. I slept a little bit, but not really quite enough. And then weirdly, exactly 10 o'clock that night, so 24 hours after I'd had those first feelings, I got the beginnings of proper labour. And I can remember them saying, you know, you'll be, you know, you won't be able to talk through it. You won't be able to do anything. And straight away, that was it. I was like doubled over on the bed. I was like, wow, okay, this is it. Timed it again. And I sort of had my head in the duvet like, oh, damn, this is definitely happening. When you're doing a home birth, you call the unit, like the hospital, and then they call the midwives on duty to check. Because that was another thing as well with a home birth. You're told, yep, you can have the home birth, but if anyone else is having a home birth the same night as you, then we won't be able to send people out because we have to have two two midwives. So it's another thing that's a kind of like unpredictable. So I was a bit nervous about that, but really, really soon after, a midwife called me and she said, right, I'm about half an hour drive away from you. Um, she kind of talked to me for a little bit to see how I was doing and I had a like surge contraction while I was on the phone to her and so right I'll be there wonderful we were quite lucky really because she just came straight away and she was there with us and setting up kind of coached Dan in the filling up of the pool and that sort of reassuring energy that lovely like positive warm midwife energy of just giving me all these compliments and telling me what great job I was doing and stuff did you already know her from the team of people? No, actually. Women who are in, in the community midwife team who would do home births, they are sometimes working in the hospitals and vice versa because we don't have in Bristol like a home birth team. I know that in Birmingham they have an exclusively home birth team, so you would likely know the person who was going to deliver the baby. And then they waited a little bit of time for another woman because it is the you know two, two midwives that come. Right, OK. And... <laughs> Just like, they just hung out in the lounge with us while I uh, laboured in the pool. What time of day was this? Oh, so this is like, she got to us at about 11, 11 p.m. I think I was in the pool by maybe like half 11 or midnight. Okay. And just sort of wrote things down and took my heart rate, took the baby's heart rate, took my temperature. 
were you feeling positive at this point or how were you dealing with the pain lots of like hypnobirthing breathing I mean the pool was amazing I like okay so that was doing what it was supposed to do it was doing its job until we'd got the pool up I had a tens machine which was kind of just like a nice distraction I didn't necessarily give it a massive go to see if I would think yeah that was great alternative because as soon as the pool was ready I just hopped in there they, okay. they do quite regularly get you out of the pool because they want to make sure you're like mobile and they want to make sure you're doing wheeze. I felt like I'd been in there for about five hours. They eventually got me to stand up. And as soon as I stood up, I was thinking, oh, wow, OK. <laughs> and the water has been really helping me. That was a real difference. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember that first time saying, I don't want to get out. I need to and, and sort of like dunking myself back in again. So I was like, this is too painful. I don't want to. You know, I'm enjoying the warmth and the comfort. Mm. Um, and then we would walk walk up the stairs. I had um, Entenox as well, the gas and air. <laughs> we'd walk up the stairs in like this little train of like me with a midwife in front of me and a midwife behind me and Dan behind them. So like the four of us like trudge up the stairs. One of them would hold the Entenox can and <laughs> I would be, you know, breathing it in when, when a contraction came like halfway up the stairs or whatever. Um, that's one of my like sort of funniest memories I remember just even you know in the real throes of it thinking this is so funny that we're just like all four of us every time going up the stairs all together back and forth it ended up being um, I think it was like 13 and a half hours from that first contraction at 10 o'clock to baby being born and home birth midwives they uh, they do the same as hospital midwives so it's 12 hours like 8am to 8pm um, so I had I had those two with me for like most of the night. They were just, you know, sat there chatting. Dan was Dan was like hosting them, which is funny. I'd done quite a lot of baking in the days before. So Dan's just bringing, you know, do you want one of these coconut macaroons or like an apricot crumble slice? Or something? <laughs> <laughs> and we had our playlist on and stuff. I can't really remember ever at any point thinking it's really nice having my music on. Um, but the midwife kept being like, your playlist is so cool. Oh, great playlist. And <laughs> talking to me about that. And I remember like once I was getting a bit more like irritated and impatient by the end of labor, I remember just thinking, shut up about my playlist. I became quite brutal uh, in the depths of it. So the hardest part I found of labor was then having to get out of the pool and have vaginal examinations which they didn't do like really regularly. I think maybe they did three of them. Well, one when one when she first arrived to check, and I think I was six centimetres at like 11 p.m. So she's like, right, okay, cool, get in the pool. And then she did another one like quite a few hours later just to see how we were progressing. I found them so painful because I was used to being in the pool. The pain was so different having a contraction on my sofa, <laughs> lying on my back compared to having them in the pool like being really mobile um and I'd read about how you know your pelvis is 30% more open when you're not lying on your back and all those things and I could really see how that you know is a <laughs> is very true so all respect to to people who have to give birth on their backs my goodness I couldn't handle it I, I think I think probably my pain threshold is quite low well I'd argue that it's <laughs> it's carried you quite a long way <laughs> so okay so you've done all these like up and down the stairs and you've been measuring your dilation did you have an idea that it was coming to the end 
because of the measurements that they'd been taking I think it was like five or six a.m or maybe like five a.m they um examined me and and I was like nine centimeters nine and a half and they said that I had this like stubborn lip of cervix that just wouldn't budge so that was one point when they did say and I was less aware of this I think than Dan Dan was quite aware that they'd said look if this bit doesn't dilate doesn't sort of move out the way and we might have to go to hospital because baby's head just isn't getting past it she said oh you know I've tried to sort of push it aside sometimes you can loop it over their head she's used that sort of a wording um but that hasn't worked and so she's like you know well you get in the pool and uh we'll just you know see how that goes we'll give you the time for for it to move of its own accord what the midwife said to me when I was in the pool after knowing that I was nine and a half centimeters was like once you get the sensation like the urge to push then just go with your body and I felt I don't know if it was like psychological or what um but reasonably soon after I did feel that I had that urge to push and I was pushing for a really long time I definitely did a poo in, in the water there the other thing that hadn't happened yet was my waters hadn't broken Ah. and it was around this time that they did and I was doing I was pushing and I felt this burst and I said I think my waters have just burst and they looked in obviously it's dark like everything's softly lit and actually the water I mean it's a good sign they couldn't see anything because there wasn't any like meconium or blood in there it was clear but um I remember the midwife saying yeah it does look a bit the water's a bit murkier now like there's a bit more sort of stuff in there that felt like quite a big relief because obviously that whole time I've been pushing head plus amniotic fluid and everything else I knew you know going back to what you said oh you know did you know that it was coming to the end I knew that it wasn't happening like nothing was happening I'd I'd been pushing and pushing what felt like forever I think it was an hour two hours and that really worried me I also knew that this was transition right so I was really gripped by transition um, I'd found out about it in hypnobirthing that it's that stage when you properly dilate and and a lot of people say you know I can't do it you need to get this baby out of me blah 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 but I was kind of ready for it to be a moment like a fleeting moment um, my transition was definitely two hours like at least wow okay because you sometimes hear about that point being the birthing team know that you're ready to put yeah exactly and and so for them they were so unfazed by this but I was really scared actually like I that was the darkest darkest couple of hours for me I found it awful because I I could just tell that for me I'm thinking is there something really wrong because I know that nothing's changed for the last couple of hours but I know I've been putting a lot of effort in and when I'm saying I was saying like I'm not doing this now. You need to find another way of getting this baby out. I can't do it anymore. Aww. I was so tired. I found that really demoralizing because um, I really had a super active pregnancy. Like after everything with the hematoma and stuff, I was swimming multiple times a week. I was doing like pregnancy safe workouts and strength stuff. And I was like, you know, going to have this home birth. I'm really like fit and healthy and quite naively was like, you know, I've done my hypnobirthing. I'm just, this is going to be great. I'm going to be able to do this because I'm so strong and it's going to be brilliant. I was knackered. Like it's the endurance. I've never, ever experienced that feat in my life. I was falling asleep between contractions. I was like burying my head in the side of the birth pool. I think now in retrospect, again, all of these things are signs that things really were happening. 
But for mm-hmm. me, I just thought, why is everyone ignoring me? Like, I'm telling them that I can't do this and this is so hard. And they're just sort of saying, like, you're doing great. And I was thinking, shut up. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm obvious, I was getting really angry. I can remember, like, staring at one of the, uh, one of my, like, affirmation cards that it was something like, oh, my my surges can't be stronger than me because they are me or can't be too strong for me because they are me or whatever. I just was repeating that in my head over and over and over and over and over and over. And I think because of this stubborn lip, I was pushing. It felt like I was ready, but I wasn't quite ready. So I had been pushing and pushing and pushing. And then it came the time for the midwives to swap over, uh, which was quite chaotic because what I found really stressful was that they were actually discussing that in my birthing space. They were in the lounge with me and sort of like, oh, when's that person going to come? Oh, this is all a bit difficult. Oh, this is quite stressful, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, no, this isn't what I want to hear. I can I can remember it. I can't remember all the parts of the conversation, but I can remember that. Take the admin somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Then eventually my two new midwives came, but they came when I was just in just such a horrendous mood. And I remember thinking, why are you in my house? <laughs> I need to do this and I don't even know who you are. I can't even look at your face because I'm so like, I can't open my eyes. Um, they were obviously, you know, nice. Actually, the the leading woman, she was much more uh, like kind of straightforward and straight talking. And she just said to me, Flora, you need to get out of the pool because you're not progressing. Okay. You need gravity. The water's slowing you down. And at the time, I was thinking, who are you? Go away. I like the water. I don't want to get out. <laughs> In retrospect. Did you listen to her? Yeah. Though? Oh, yeah hesitantly because I didn't want to get out but I did because that's what she'd said and she'd seen it and and because I knew that something wasn't quite happening I thought okay fine this is the sort of this is the solution that I needed I knew something wasn't working yeah did me a a vaginal examination and she was like I I remember the exact word she said you're 10 centimeters so now we can start pushing (laughs) oh gosh (laughs) I won't I won't swear on but uh, I was so angry. But her advice to stand up and be out of the pool was amazing. So we did lots of like mobilizing outside, like standing up, kind of squatting positions, holding on to Dan. Then she said, right, a lot of women like to labor on the toilet and sometimes that can really help with getting things going. Um, So I'm like, right, I'm willing to do honestly anything interesting at this stage <laughs> yeah so it went up and by this point one thing I also found quite hard was that I'd really imagined that uh I was gonna give birth at night and now it's the daytime and I'm quite a sensitive person to light anyway I don't really like like really bright lights so luckily we had like blackout blinds and stuff but I found it jarring to you know go in the bathroom and it'd be really bright hot day it was I think like 10 a.m or something when we went up to the bathroom she basically had me on the toilet and I did quite a few pushes on there. I felt finally like I knew something was happening. Okay. So I could feel like the stinging. It, it, he, his head, now I know it was a boy, it was going into the birth canal. That stinging and stretching had happened, had started, which is obviously an intense feeling. But I was just so relieved. I'm like, okay, this is what I was waiting for. Yes, great. Mm. And I can remember walking through the corridor like to go up to the stairs and stopping with like a really huge contraction being like this is painful but it's happening like finally I remember feeling the sun on my face and and thinking like yes (laughs) after all this and his head was right like down so far down so I waddled up the stairs it honestly felt like he would like fall out at any second 
Goodness yeah. me. Went in there and then yeah, his head started crowning. Said so, and Dan saw that. I was sat on the sat on the toilet, had like a stool, and he was holding one of my knees open, and the midwife was holding the other knee open, and okay. I was like gripping <gasps> onto the towel rail, like to hold on. Uh, they put like a wet, a cold, wet muzzle on my face. Got sweating. Oh, lovely! Um, <laughs> uh, it was great, really nice, and also over my eyes as well, which which is great because I didn't want to see mm. anything. And then we stood up. I can't. I think it was maybe her suggestion of right, stand up and and see how you're feeling in different positions there. And so we went back into this kind of me standing up and squatting with my arms holding around Dan's neck. Wow, yeah. uh, one thing that I really wasn't ready for of like the physicality of it all was how much upper body strength I needed. I, I felt a really strong urge to pull down with with my arms like that that helped like my bearing down strength. Hmm. And, and I had read about that in a few different books. I'd read like the Ina May Gaskin guide to childbirth and lots of like you know medieval and you know like other uh like native cultures and stuff their drawings and things of people hanging ropes around trees and and pulling down on them mm. yeah really interesting so if I again if I birthed again I would definitely do that have something to pull down because I was just pulling down on Dan's neck and shoulders which <laughs> he was it was great because <laughs> he ended up being this incredibly vital part of the birthing process because I needed him and probably nice for him to finally have more of an active role in it as well. Completely, completely. This is where like the pushes and stuff got really so much more intense. I don't know if I'm like remembering it right, but I remember it was sort of like you would have a contraction and you'd have to do multiple pushes and each contraction was what I had. So it'd be like, okay, try and push, right. Okay, try and do four pushes this time. And I was thinking, I can only do three. I can't do the fourth. So it was really, you know, mm. like that is it was so much coaching from the midwife at one point she said to me look the baby your baby's really nearly out like feel it I remember thinking with crowning it would just be you know you just sort of slightly see a bit of the top of the head and then the head's out uh but I touched it and uh I'll bleep myself I was like beep (laughs) and uh and the midwife said yep that is that is what we're at now because it was like two inches of like this you know pointy head sticking out Mm. uh, which I found just unbelievable that you know you can see that and did it spur you on yeah 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 it like kind of freaked me out for a moment but it was like right okay we're so close we're so 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 close and so I kept going so you know keep doing that and she said right I'm gonna be down here basically um doing things on your perineum to make sure that you don't tear Mm -hmm. and she just said if I say stop pushing then just listen to me because she's like we're going to try and get them out gradually so that it's not too extreme and mm. um, I have no idea what she was doing and it all you know there's a lot of sensations going on down there but uh, yeah. whatever it was was great because um, <laughs> it worked <laughs> and I was like screaming into Dan's chest like mm. really screaming and he said he could feel it like vibrating around his body he's like I've never ever known you to make noise like that ever <laughs> um, and and then his head came out and then uh, oh and just before um he was born the second midwife because the first midwife's in there you know sorting my perineum out um the second midwife said oh do you want me to take some photos and i i really enjoyed looking at birth photos throughout pregnancy but i was never going to pay someone to take photos of us and i didn't think there was yeah. ever anything that we would have uh but she was there she didn't have anything to do she couldn't almost like fit in the bathroom basically um, and so we just we were just like um, okay. She took photos, 
and the photos are incredible because it's you know the moment his head is out and it's sideways the moment his head oh so well it comes out first and it's backwards so you know this photo of like my back and Dan there and obviously neither of us actually saw it happen because Dan was in this vital role of in front of my face so mm. it was amazing that now we can look back on it um uh, parents face coming out and then turning and then him like flying <laughs> out and being caught by the midwife <gasps> Sam so was it quite quick then after the head was out? Do you remember how much more happened after that? It was straight away. I think that first push afterwards, it just felt like he like flopped out after the head. We're um, mm. So I realised that he was on the floor. We'd done a birth plan and we wanted Dan to find out, you know, to see the sex and to tell me. And I just thought, oh, we haven't really discussed that with, with this midwife. And so I looked down, just, you know, in that gesture, I just really didn't want to be told by her. And I was like, oh my God, he's got, he's got a willy as a boy. <laughs> uh, and it was just so surreal. Like he's there and in our bathroom, she handed him through my legs. I had quite a, a short, what's it called? Umbilical cord. So he could, I couldn't really like hold him up really, really high to my chest. It was giving me a very painful uh, wedgie, basically. Uh, to hold him up onto my stomach and I can remember all I could say was just hi hi like (laughs) I just did like you know you you imagine that moment for ages and then actually once it was there I didn't know what to say and like we knew what our boy's name would be we knew they would be parent if he was a boy but I kind of I didn't feel right to like call him that yet and it was just all such a shock and then just the most amazing thing of the midwife just goes right I've put a load of pads in your bed. Um, just come on round. And our bathroom's right next door to our bedroom. So I just sort of waddled with him in my arms and my umbilical cord, you know, up there, like five steps or whatever. And I was in bed with my, you know, huge pregnancy pillow behind me and lo- like a mountain of pillows straight in bed. And um, that sounds so wonderful. Yeah, it, w- it was bliss, to be honest. Um, and Dan wasn't sure if he'd want to cut the cord, but he did he he uh, plucked up the courage uh and cut it which is nice and then I had the injection to get the placenta out because uh-huh. you know I basically I remember thinking I just can't bother to wait around now like you know I'd, I'd read a lot about it coming naturally and waiting for that and you know sometimes it happens instantly but sometimes it's like an hour and I just thought I just don't I just can't be bothered like I just want it to be done so I had the injection and and that came out and that was cool like getting to see that so we've got some photos of of the placenta and and then she checked me over while I took some gas and air and I hadn't torn which was amazing I've been doing a lot of perineum massage I said that I said the perineum massage paid off and uh <laughs> and she said it does really work That's what, what, what her yeah words. and whatever she'd been doing as well exactly yeah I mean do, I mean I don't know I still don't know what it was but something magic <laughs> and yeah then she sort of set me up with breastfeeding like a very very quick sort of there you go that position right you're off they went down into our kitchen which we still find funny that they managed to work their way around our kitchen um got us <laughs> some tea and toast and brought it up like the fact that I think I think the only bread we had might have been in the freezer as well. So like they found this bread miraculously in our kitchen to give us tea and toast. They must be so used to it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I love that though. The the kind of emblem of the NHS, even if they're not in their natural environment, they managed to make it happen. Yeah, they're incredible. Um 
they can just do anything, can't they? Uh, and so, yeah, they cleaned up a bit. They don't, they don't do the birth pool. Like, you have to clean the birth pool out yourself. But they cleaned up and did a bit of loading of the dishwasher and stuff, Aww. bless them. And very quickly they were gone. And then we were just in bed for days, which was great. Just sort of, like, three, four, five days mainly in bed. And it was just, yeah, bliss. Wow. Gosh. What an absolute marathon. And it did, it did feel like a marathon even though I know that actually in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't the longest, mm. the longest labour. The thing that I wasn't really prepared for was how, you know, the basically birth went exactly how we'd wanted it to. But I was like traumatised by it. I don't know, there's some, there's some kind of real like physical feeling in me, like the shock, I think. It was partly with all of the physicality of everything and, um, you know, the endurance of it and the tiredness. Uh, and then also partly that kind of emotional and psychological change that suddenly happened because you've got this baby and you're just there. Mm. I kind of thought, oh, well, if I get my home birth and I do my hypnobirthing and my breathing and, um, and you know, I'm not going to, uh, if I don't tear and everything, then I'll just be so happy and I'm not going to have any of these, like, you know, I'm just not going to think in any way negatively on the process. Uh, and actually, I really struggled for quite a few weeks with coming to terms with all of it and with really sort of, yeah, feeling quite like shocked and almost scared a bit by it, I think. And mm. and do you kind of put that down to the quote unquote baby blues or do you think it was longer than that hormone crash kind of? I think it's like a separate thing. So not necessarily the kind of baby blues type feelings but more just like purely about the birth like about that having been like this huge thing and like kind of thinking I never want to do that again and I don't think we'll ever have another child because I can't do that and and I thought but what you know it was actually why am I feeling like this because it's it went smoothly and there wasn't you know I'm not I'm not recovering from you know an episiotomy or any kind of surgery and um but I, having talked to a couple of friends who've had home birth since, I think it's quite an interesting thing where because you expect it to be this very sort of like beautiful and positive thing, it is still, you know, it's still an endurance. It's still a very difficult process to go through. But it's such a shock when you do have those more difficult feelings. And, you know, that natural thing of when you try and go against a feeling or you're a bit concerned by a feeling, it feels bigger. And I think it's made um stronger by being a home birth this is what I'm trying to kind of work out with other people who I've spoken to about it because when you give birth in hospital I assume you know there's a little bit of an element of you go home and you've got your it's kind of compartmentalized you know you've left it you've left the Mm. difficult physical tiring um you know pain (laughs) loudness intensity there and you get home and you know, that's the, the calm and the positivity and everything. Where when you've given birth at home, you don't leave it. It's there the whole time. You're still in that same space and um, hard to kind of draw a line. Yeah, yeah. I, I think after maybe like, I don't know, two months or something, I think I could say, oh, actually, I would. You know, I would have another child. I would do it. And I definitely would now. I had a um, a slightly unusual situation where... I got an infection at at seven days 
postpartum had to go into hospital for three nights and I was pumped full of IV antibiotics and then after that had the most horrendous bout of thrush that you've ever known for eight weeks oh so I was in a lot of pain so that's what I put down to having taken so long for me to then kind of think oh it's not painful anymore (laughs) but basically felt like I'd just given birth for eight weeks which is not the norm um and then once I had it all cleared up um, and, the, you know, the physical pain had gone, then it was thinking, oh, yeah. And I mean, obviously, the baby was amazing. Parent amazing. I love it. And now, I, yeah, I can think I would do it again. And I can't obviously remember the physicality of it. And I know despite being able to talk through how difficult it was, if we were, if we were lucky enough, then um, I would. So. And how is Perrin doing now a year on is he thriving (laughs) he is lovely and amazing and and I still you know when you think back to all of it one of the despite all the like anxiety and stuff of pregnancy like that overarching feeling alongside that was just a complete awe like how absolutely unbelievable is it that we can grow humans and produce them like it's Mm. just mind-boggling yeah I like (laughs) and I still think about it frequently I look at him and I think how you know how did we do that that's just wild amazing that you've got the photos to prove it because sometimes you do slightly have to pinch yourself don't you completely Um, okay and one last question to finish with so you mentioned like it took you a couple of months to get the distance from the physical place but now that we're a year on and every day you're in that bathroom do you still think about it every day when you're brushing your teeth or when you're having a shower does that moment come back to you yeah quite often he has a bath every night he loves the water and probably at least once a week Dan or I will say to him like oh you're where you were born wow yeah (laughs) no you're standing in the place where you were born that is so cool. The odd thing about, yeah, like sitting in a certain place or listening to a certain thing or talking about a certain thing. And yeah, it does. It does come back. And it is, again, just sort of like unbelievable, really. It just feels so like a different world, a different, like a little dream thing that happened. Mm. Oh, well, that has been so interesting for me and just wonderful to have such a blow by blow account of it. Thank you so much for taking the time to share. My pleasure. That's the end of this episode. Take care and see you next time.